You know, sometimes we forget that Christmas songs are some of the most powerful worship songs there are. And don't forget that, as we kind of shared last night. Christmas is not an event. It's a lifestyle. Christ our Savior is born. He lived. He died to set us free from the bondage of sin and death. It's the most wonderful message you'll ever hear. So you take your seats, take out your Bibles. This morning, the true story of Christmas. It's the third installment in our three-part series this Christmas. In the truth about Christmas last night, if you were with us, we saw the true spirit of Christmas. And now the true Christmas story. In an odd passage, people are probably going, he's in the book of Philippians for Christmas. What is up with that? You're going to get it here in a few moments. Because there really is not a better Christmas passage than Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11 in all of the Bible. But as we turn our attention there, it, it's always a privilege and it's always a challenge for those of us who are pastors to take a new look at Christmas, another angle, another dimension, another facet, if you will, of the Christmas story. Now, a lot of the Christmas story in our day and time that we live in has been somewhat cluttered, amen? Uh, we, we get to that place to where uh, when, you, when you see things, you know, Christmas kind of looks like this. Uh, I shared another one last night. You know, th- this guy's pretty much got it going on. We got aliens. We have some rain pigs, I think. I'm not sure. There's, you know, everything. That's, that kind of says how many people actually view Christmas. It's a muddle. They're not really sure what Christmas is about. We say, you know, Jesus is the reason for the season, but sometimes Jesus is very difficult to find in Christmas. Christ Mass, the story of Christ that we tell. You see, very often when you look at this, if you go through there, you're going to find there's a Hanukkah bush in there, there's surfboard, there's elves, there's, there's the Coke polar bear, there's plastic toys, there's actually, if, if you saw it in the video, there's actually a, a fog machine, there, there's everything in there. We, we lose the message of the reality of Christmas. What is this Christmas story? What is it about? You see, we trade the humility, the poverty of that stable for the wealth, even the indulgence of our modern world. We trade the quietness of that little town of Bethlehem for freeway traffic and shopping nightmares. We we change the soberness of the incarnation. God is incarnate in human flesh come to earth for office parties. Crazy how in our minds it becomes confused. Somehow colored lights or the twinkling star above the town of Bethlehem, the room in the inn uh, becomes some warm house and a fireplace. It, it, we get confused. And I want to bring us back to the real message. 
And again, I, I, I really do love Christmas. We have a Jesus tree in our house. And it's just, you look at it, it just, it just tells the story of, of the Lord, his whole life. So don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I don't want to kill your Christmas festivities. But I do want to bring us back to the real message, the real story of Christmas. There in Matthew chapter 1, and I want to begin there before we turn our attention to Philippians. But it says there, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. God with us. Can I remind you that that's not the first place that we find that name? Matter of fact, the prophet Isaiah, in the seventh chapter of the book of Isaiah, actually uses the name Emmanuel first for the virgin-born son, some 700 years before Jesus came to this earth. So the story of Emmanuel is the story of God's love. It's the story of how much he loves us, so much so that he sent his only begotten son into this world that the world through him would be saved. And so now if you'd turn to the book of Philippians and let's pray. Father, we are so grateful. We're grateful for our homes and our Christmas trees and even the lights, the gifts that were unwrapped today and maybe still under our trees, the food that's on our table. God, we are grateful. We don't deserve any of it. We could have had to walk here or ridden a donkey and most of us have cars. Or there's fuel in those cars. We have so much when so many have so little. And so, Lord, we want to begin with thankful hearts. And as we turn our attention to the Christmas story, to the message of Christmas, would you bless us with your Spirit's presence in our lives individually and here in this place as your church to instruct us from heaven. We pray these things in Jesus' precious and wonderful name. And God's people all said, Amen. Amen. Verse 5 here in Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to give you five realities of the incarnation. Five of them that point us towards Emmanuel. And it is the Christmas story that begins there in Matthew's gospel that had its first vision as far as the Bible's concerned. There in the prophecy of Isaiah. Verse 5 begins this way. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man. And he humbled himself, and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And therefore God also has highly exalted him, and given him the name which is above every name, 
that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven, of those on earth, and those under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? That is the Christmas message. And there are five windows that we can look through that show us Christmas here in this incredible word from the Apostle Paul. You see, the first thing that we see here is Jesus our Lord abandoned his sovereign position in heaven. The story of the incarnation begins in heaven, amen? Because he is God incarnate in human flesh. He's not flesh that went to heaven. He is God that came from heaven to earth. And so the apostle begins this way, that unalterably, unchangeably, Jesus was God in the pureness of his essence, in that which is his being, the essential Christ. He has always been God. He's never been less than God. That babe in a manger was God in human flesh. You see, sometimes we get it confused, much like our modern world. There's baby Jesus. That baby Jesus was God. Amen? He abandoned his sovereign position. He left the glories of heaven. In fact, John 8 reminds us that before Abraham was, I am. Amen? So that babe in a manger was the same God that Abraham worshipped. The same I am that spoke to Moses. The same one that would go on later to make those great statements. I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. I am the way and the truth and the life. I am the resurrection. That baby would say those things. And he had full right and privilege to do so because he left heaven to come here to earth to tell us those things. He's sovereign in all that he has ever been or done. And it's so important for us to to get this because he is unchangeably the God-man. He wasn't something different in heaven in essence and something on earth different in essence. He was in essence God and he remains in essence God while he was here on earth. The fullness of God there, the fullness of God here. As hard as that is for us to wrap our minds around it, brothers and sisters, Jesus is and was always God. You see, sometimes when we think of him, We think of him only in the earthly sense. The beaten, the bruised, the downcast, the crucified Christ. We think of his flesh primarily. But in that flesh, the words that are used here, as Colossians would remind us, look, he is the image of the invisible God in fullness and in form. And the words that are used here are very, very specific. 
You, you see, when we think of form or when we think of fashion, we think of it a little bit differently than the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Spirit, actually wrote down for us. When it says he was found in the fashion as a man in verse 8, that is a different word than he is as God here in verse 5, the form of God. One is internal. The Greek word there, morphe, it means the very sum and essence of the thing. And I can help you understand that. Because as a human being, we all look different, amen? We are in the form human. We are human beings, every last one of us. No matter what you look like on the outside, you are in the form a human. You are part of mankind. But externally... Shema, that external thing, we all look totally different. Jesus came in the fashion, the Shema, as a man. He was fashioned as a man while he was here, but he was still in form, fully God, Morphe. So when you read this passage, you need to see it correctly. Jesus was fully God while fashioned on the outside as a man. We can't understand this. It's tough for us to wrap our heads around it. This is the basic affirmation of your faith. You see, if Christ is not God, then he can't die for your sins and your sins remain. He has to be fully God to pay the price for your sin. And so he was fully God while externally fashioned as a man. And the beauty of that fashioning as a man is he knows exactly what it's like to be you. He left the glories of heaven to take that upon himself. And so he made himself of no reputation. He put those things away. He said, I won't use these things while I'm here. Can you imagine if baby Jesus immediately began to do miracles from the cradle, from the manger? He's over there. You know, it's a little cold in here. I'm going to turn the heat up. But he put those things off to come to be with us. He left that position. He poured himself out here. He emptied himself. He divested himself is another way for you to look at it. He took all of the things that were rightfully his, and he said, though they are mine, I choose at this time to not use them. For your sake, for my sake, for our sake, for humankind's sake, he came to fully and completely identify with us. You see, this is the Christmas story. We think of it as the babe in a manger, but it was God incarnate in human flesh that came to that manger. The second thing, he willingly gave up his privilege. You know, sometimes we have a tough time, again, wrapping our mind around these things. But when you read this passage in Philippians, it becomes very clear that God in heaven came to this earth. In order to do so, he had to give a whole bunch of things up. Because he was entitled to bring the glory of God with him. It was his. 
but he gave his glory up temporarily and left it in the heavens. Though it was still his, fully available at any time. He knew that in order to identify with us, he would have to leave that at home, so to speak. Probably many of you have things at your home that you don't carry around with you all the time. You choose not to, but they're still yours. So it is with these things that Jesus gave up that are his privileges as God. He gave up his glory. He gave up his full honor. Can you imagine? One of the cries from the cross is, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why? Because the full honor that was due him, he left in heaven to become a man so that he could die on Calvary's cross and he left his honor in heaven and allowed himself to be dishonored and shamed and beaten. He gave up his riches. He's fully God, amen? The earth and the fullness of it the gold and silver in every mine, the sheep, the cattle on a thousand hills, all of it belongs to the Lord. If Jesus Christ is Lord, is not all of the earth his? Think of that for a moment. The riches, he could have just said, hey mom, hey dad, you don't need to build any more furniture. Check the pot underneath the bed. It's just spilling over with gold. It's all his. He left the favorable relationship that he had with his own father. That that cry from the cross, so pertinent to the Christmas story, because Jesus came specifically to expose himself to our humanness. The evil that man can do, which we know that man can do evil, amen? Amen. And yet Jesus willingly subjected himself to that instead of staying home with Papa. Instead of staying in the glories of heaven where the angels sing his praises, he came here. What a glorious story. Would you do that? I don't know how many of you have ever driven through, you know, homely hills or up into Bel Air or gone in and wondered what's behind the gates of those mansions. You kind of peer through the, you know, it's like, wow, I wonder who lives here. About that time, five security guards come running, get out of my driveway. Can you imagine where Jesus rightfully lives in heaven? That he came from his mansion to a manger? He didn't consider that robbery. He didn't look at, oh man, I got to go there? He left home in heaven to be hated here on earth. He also gave up the independent exercise of his authority. In John 6, we get a word from Jesus. He said, I do only the will that my Father shows me. My meat is to do my Father's will. Jesus was God. He could have done anything. 
He could have gotten to Jerusalem. He could have come to Pilate's court and said, you know, it just isn't worth it. These people are not worth it. And maybe if you really think about how we treat each other sometimes, I wonder how we would have handled that same situation. How would you have handled getting to the courtyard of Pilate knowing that you simply could have made Pilate cease to exist? You know, I really don't want to hear what you have to say right now, Pilate. So, oh, by the way, I created the matter you're made out of. Boom, you're gone. But he didn't do that. He didn't take his own authority as God and exercise it. He said, I'm leaving that in heaven temporarily. I'm going to choose not to use what is rightfully mine. He emptied out all of those things, and yet he continued to be God. Lost none of his divine attributes. He simply says, I'm not going to use them while I'm here. That, by the way, is the definition of true strength. When someone has privilege and they choose not to use it, that is real strength. That's what we want in our politicians, amen? We don't want them saying dumb things and then doing dumb things. We want them to not say dumb things and then not do dumb things. When someone has authority, you want them to choose to use it properly. Jesus, 100% of the time, used his authority properly. And for your benefit and for mine. A third thing. He approached us. Can you imagine? Think about the manger. Think about Jesus being God, being in Mary's womb. Think about it for a moment. I know it's hard to understand. It's even hard to think on. But he didn't come into the first century with a 20th century or a 21st century outfit on. He could have. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, amen? You don't think he doesn't know, you know what it's like to wear a nice suit? He could have done anything. He came to us. That's why it's so important what the Apostle Paul says. While we were yet sinning, actively engaged, Christ died for the ungodly. He came to sinful mankind. He was made in the likeness of men and in, found in fashion as a man. In other words, the external parts of Jesus shaped exactly like you and me. He didn't come like some visitor from outer space, amen? You know, with like a, a bubble around him and wherever Jesus went, like everything all of a sudden was wonderful and excellent. Anytime he wanted, you know, food, he's like snapped his finger, double-double appears. You know, he, he could have done any of those things. Think about it. He was born of a, of a Jewish mother, a woman who was probably still a teenager. He ate what they ate. He lived in a dirty, dusty village. Nazareth isn't exactly a great place today. It must have been infinitely worse then. He talked the language that they talked. He could have directly communicated with their minds. Can you imagine what he could have done? 
but he came as sinful mankind. He had conversations with everyday people. Matter of fact, he took it so far as to hang out with sinners and publicans, prostitutes. That's why the Jewish religious leadership hated him. He actually hung out with the peeps. You see, he approached sinful people. And in doing so, he identified with you and me. That's the Christmas story. When you think about it, he he could have done all these things. As you weep, Jesus wept. As you rejoice, Jesus rejoiced. As you suffer pain, Jesus suffered pain. As you've been loved and hated, both of them, Jesus was loved and hated. You have brothers and sisters. He had brothers and sisters. You have a mom and dad. He had a mom and a dad. Every single human experience that you have had, Jesus had. 100% of them. Fully able to know what it's like to be in your shoes. We use that phrase, well, you don't know what it's like to be in my shoes. And to some degree, that's true, isn't it? In all of our experiences in life, within our cultures and race, there are all kinds of uniquenesses that we can say someone who isn't in those shoes doesn't know what it's like. But Jesus knows what it's like to walk in your shoes, your exact shoes, the one that fit you. That's the Christmas story. He came to us in form, internally God, fully God, fashion externally, fully just like us. We, we use a, a theologic phrase, it's called the hypostatic union. It's hard for us to grasp how somebody can be 100% of one thing and 100% of another thing because that makes 200%, doesn't it? And yet, that's what Scripture completely tells us about Jesus. That he was fully God and fully man. He wasn't part God. He didn't have the essence of God. He he wasn't kind of like the God ideal, as a Christian scientist would tell you. He wasn't the Christ-likeness. He was the Christ. At the same time, he was your neighbor in Nazareth. The same time he's working on a piece of furniture with his dad in the carpenter's shop, he created the wood that he's using. While he's talking to Peter, he made Peter's mind. While he's getting the wind and the wave to obey him, he actually created the atoms and molecules that make up the water vapor that created the clouds and the wind. You talk about not feeling like he was robbed. Can you imagine what he had to put off to do that? To hang out with us. I don't know how many of you have ever had the chance to sit around with someone who's infinitely more intelligent than you are. Happens to me frequently. (laughs) But you talk to those people and, and they just sit there, they're in a different plane, right? I have a friend who's a nuclear physicist, really a nuclear physicist. And I remember when he first got his multiple degrees, both of them from MIT, one in hydrology, the study of water, and the other one in nuclear physics, he got dual PhDs at 22 years old. 
So when you sit down and talk to them, it's like, <laughs> what do you say? You know, it's just like, the guy when he's asleep has deeper thoughts than you do. <laughs> now imagine the one you're talking to is God Almighty. How much more infinitely do you think that is exposed in your humanness? You're talking with Jesus, God incarnate in human flesh, and yet he talked to the woman at the well. He says, you know what? Why don't you go get your husband? She shakes her head. Why can't? He says, yeah, that's right. Because you've had five of them. And the man you're with right now, you're not married to. But can I tell you something? I love you. I love you. He got down where we are. Don't forget that in the Christmas message. A fourth thing. Jesus humbled himself. He took a selfless posture while he was here. Now, we can't relate to this, but maybe a way that I could help you understand it is imagine that you're the president of the United States. That comes with some pretty nice perks, right? You know, you, you dial up the United States Marine Corps Guard that takes care of all of your travel arrangements and say, I'd like to get in Marine One. That's those choppers that the president uses to get from there over to either Dulles or to Reagan if he's going to take off from there. But then he gets on Air Force One, which is this multi-billion dollar 747 that's been converted to a mobile office that contains the full functions of the government of the United States of America. He can operate while flying around the entire country. Some kind of nice perks. And then you take and you fly it to wherever you want to go and and people greet you and do all those kind of things. You know, you kind of after a while, kind of like, yeah, I'm it. I am cool. You step off the plane and there's the red carpet and the Marine Band is playing Stars and Stripes. There it is, the emblem of the United States of America representing us. One person literally represents us wherever he goes, anywhere in the world. President Obama steps through the doors right now and walks in here. He is our president. And we're all going to go, whoa! The president's here. Can you imagine how selfless it was for Jesus to be the king of the universe? And yet he wasn't flying around on Air Force One. He didn't have the Secret Service guarding him. He had 12 knuckleheads, (laughs) collectively known as KFC, knuckleheads for Christ. And and so here is this incredible picture of God adopting us and coming to our world and getting real with you and me. That's the Christmas story. He went all the way to the cross. 
It wasn't enough that he put off heaven. It wasn't enough that he surrendered what was rightfully his for a time. It wasn't enough that he became one of us. It wasn't enough that he adopted that selfless posture. But he actually literally came and died in your place for your sins. Amen? That baby is God in human flesh who came to this earth on a very specific mission. And it wasn't to promote heaven. It was to save earth and mankind. The glories of heaven are the glories of heaven. It's earth that needs work. It's mankind that needs that touch from heaven. So he says, look, I designed your brains, but I'm going to talk to you. Can you imagine sitting down with Jesus, the one who invented food, and sharing a meal with him? You talk about selfless. You know, after a while, when you travel to Israel, you get tired of hummus and pita, okay? It was worse then. Jesus sits down, and I'm pretty sure he could have made, you know, like a nice piece of prime rib suddenly appear. But he didn't. He said, I want to experience what you're experiencing. So I'm going to adopt a posture that says, I'm one of you. No pomp, no circumstance. And finally, the fifth thing. He ascended as the prince of peace. Wherefore, God has always also highly exalted him and given him a name. And that word name, you need to realize what it says. It's not just the name like we would say, my name is Jeff. It's his title. It's his rank. It describes who he is. His name is Jesus. Yahoshua. God who is salvation. He came as our Emmanuel. God with us. So he is God who is salvation. When you talk to him, he's your salvation. But his mission that he came on as Christ, Messiah, anointed one, is to save us. No wonder that they cried out, Hosanna. God save us now. That's why the Lord's exalted right now as the Prince of Peace. Again, that passage Sarah spoke it to you from Isaiah 9, 6. Wonderful, counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. He's always been the Prince of Peace. That baby was the Prince of Peace. He was also El Gabor, our hero God, our mighty God. He's Yahweh, Lord of hosts. He's El Shaddai. He is the fullness of everything that we will ever need. You see, that's the Christmas story. That's why at His name, one day, believer or not, angel or demon, You and I, or Satan himself, one day is going to bow the knee to Jesus. 
Amen? That's the Christmas story. Make sure that you have the real Christmas story, the true Christmas story. God incarnate in human flesh came to this earth that the world through him might be saved. That's the message of Christmas. Don't leave it with shepherds and wise men and donkeys and Mary and Joseph. Make sure you take baby Jesus out of the manger and you put him back at the Prince of Peace. Amen? He is what we need. And so what's that real story? It's Emmanuel, God with us. The Lord of glory left heaven. He came to this earth. He lived humbly. He lived among us and with us. He gave himself completely away. You you see, when that phrase is used, he didn't consider it robbery. Give you a little insight to the Hebrew scriptures. That was exactly what Satan was trying to do in Isaiah 14, was rob God. Jesus didn't have to because he already was God. You see, Satan said, I will become like the Most High God. Jesus already was Most High God. He is the one who was and is and, praise the Lord, is to come. Amen? That's the Christmas story. Would you stand with me? And Sarah and Lily, the worship team, Steve and Elias, come back out. Don't be confused about the message of Christmas. And I want to give you an opportunity. Maybe you came today and you're visiting. Maybe you're here and... You're in that group. Maybe you always thought that Christmas was about gifts and maybe Santa Claus and just being nice to people. But I'd be remiss to not offer you the greatest gift that you could ever receive on a day like this when we're gathered in God's house. You see, because Scripture is clear that if you will confess Jesus Christ as Lord, you will be saved. It's not complex at all. It is a simple confession that you need a Savior, that you are a sinner, and that you're accepting the gift that God wants to give you, which is faith resulting in grace, which will save you eternally. And so I'm going to ask everyone to bow their heads and close their eyes, and I simply want to make that offer. If you're here today, And I'm going to have you stay right where you're at. But if you're here today and you would like to make Jesus Christ your Lord, your Savior, because you came in and you didn't know about this gift, but you now know and you want to do that, wherever you are in the sanctuary, if you'd simply slip your hand up, I want to pray with you. We're going to pray with you. I see that hand. Are there any others? I see that hand. I see that hand as well. Praise the Lord. I see that hand in the back. Please keep your hands up so we can see them. Are there any others? It's a simple prayer. We want to have you leave this place with the greatest gift that you will ever receive. Just slip your hand up. 
Don't be afraid, because Jesus is not ashamed of you. He loves you. It's why he came. Or any others. I see that hand as well. Praise the Lord. Thank you, God. Salvation has come to the house of the Lord. That's a gift for all of us today. I see that hand as well. Thank you, Lord. Any others? I see all those hands. They're in the back. Please keep them up for just a moment longer. Hallelujah. Church, would you be in prayer for these that have raised their hands? Those that you've raised your hands, would you just simply pray after me? Heavenly Father, I admit that I'm a sinner. And I need a Savior. And Jesus, I believe that you are God. And you came to this earth and you died in my place. And you died so that you could forgive my sin. And I receive now the forgiveness of my sins. And I'm offering my life to you. That I would walk with you all of my days. Would you please write my name in the Lamb's book of life in heaven? Would you impart your Holy Spirit to me that I can be faithful in my walk? I thank you for saving me. And help me now walk with you all of my days. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord.